Um, this gospel today is a familiar one for many of us. It's a story, having heard it as children, about the man who was demonized in the region of the Gerardines. Some gospels say Gerasenes, Gergesenes, but it's almost like the difference between, you know, uh, town, township, and county. <laughs> so please understand it's not uh, opposing locations uh, when you read it in different gospels. Anyway, uh, Jesus goes into this area, and I, I think it's important to understand, and it, there is, by the way, I see a parallel with this and the uh, epistle reading today with St. Paul. The location he's going into is not a Jewish location. Jesus announced, and he told the disciples when they were sent out two by two, to go only to the people, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But here he is in his, during his earthly ministry, and he's going into Gentile land. And the way we know that is no Jewish village or town would keep pigs. So he goes there, and it's, it's, it's a very powerful image because it would kind of be a prototype of him descending into the place of even death itself, to go where there was the unclean, to go where people were considered marginalized by other people in that way. St. Paul will be called to go to the Gentiles, and I think we need to understand what that would mean in some ways as well. Um, but going back to the Gospels, so he meets a man who is demonis menos. He's demonized. And he's totally controlled by the, his, his demons. And that is not unlike, quite frankly, uh, people who struggle with uh, you know, addictions in that way. The bottom line, though, of an addiction, and this is where the devil gets a hold of us, is feeding our ego, because in the end, it's not so much the thing we're addicted to, whether it be the sex, the money, the, the drugs, you, the gambling, whatever it is that we go so obsessive crazy over, but in the end, it's really our ego. What I want what I want when I want it. That's why the early Christians will talk about dealing with passions, our impulses. Do we channel them in a way that's harmonizing with God, or do we just let them enslave our, our very selves. And I think that's a, to keep in mind this reality that, you know, as Christians we struggle, and we will struggle, but the church is a place to deal with the struggle. When one is addicted, they are like, in, they are like crazy. They, they live for their addiction, or addictions, plural. But God comes to set us free from all that. He comes to set us free. And one of the things that's very striking, too, in this story is the fact that the village there, they're used to this guy being totally in that way. Like, this is normal, that you have a person like that, that in, that's part of our community, that really has these problems, you know, has this issue. I mean, can you imagine the times they tried to restrain him, he breaks his bonds, probably beats up the guys that try to hold him down, and so forth. And... Um, they finally give up, and he's just living in the outskirts of town, you know, in the, among the tombs and so forth. But this is like, okay, this is life. And I mean it in a way, not that we have to accept that sometimes people are in these situations, but it's kind of like, but this is part of normal, to be, to be demonized is almost like, ah, okay, that's just one among many things to be. <laughs> Got to be something. So why might as well be demonized. But the idea of giving up our control 
and feeding our ego. I mean, and like the fathers of the, and mothers of the church talk about the fact that some of the passions are not as obvious as like, you know, alcohol, sex, drugs, money, you know, etc., uh, and so forth. They're also just personal ones, you know, like the, the need to be right all the time. That nobody can ask questions because that means you don't like me, you know, my ego. I, I see this where uh, people want every one of their opinions to be, you know, equal to who they valued with who they are as a person, and that, that's just not reality. That's just not reality. And I say that because, you know, we look at the media and we look at what's going on in the Middle East and, and everything else. And, uh, you know, I mean, the, the idea of trying to get a, a, a better sense about, for instance, how both parties uh, play into this. And this is, if you look at the history of it, there's no innocent party in this, to be honest. Uh, but here's the, one of the interesting things. You're not allowed to question anything because if you question that and this is a good example of how my opinion and I are the same thing if you dare to question that then you hate me you are you're a hating person of my ethnicity my race whatever my gender you name it so you can't question so that's all you know it's, it's, it'd be like me you know saying if I criticize what the government is doing in Washington I hate America and hate Americans well that's not true but that's how absurd we get and that's how blinded we get. And again, how the ego comes to overshadow and blind everything else. Paul, speaking of war, Paul, Paul, before he's the encounter with Jesus, is like ISIS. And we have to understand that in the Middle East, many of these religions, and it's acceptable to have people that will, quote-unquote, uphold the honor of God by force. And if need be, to kill them. And we know that with what happened with Sharon back in the 1990s. So everybody has that potential. Everybody has extremists of some sort and so forth. And Paul is, is arresting people. He's putting them in jail. He's, you, are, you are challenging you know, the very foundations of what it means to be Israel and to be a Jew and so on and so forth. You know, and that didn't matter if it, they were followers of Jesus or people who were uh, just not upholding the Torah, just like uh, more Muslims kill Muslims than anything else because of the brotherhoods that say you're not upholding Sharia law and everything else. And then you have crazy Christians who get a little looney tunes as well every so often. But into the midst of this craziness, God descends, and that's, I think, the powerful thing. Even with Paul. Paul's a good example. He's a microcosm of what God does in a cosmic kind of way. Like with a demoniac. I mean, Legion, this, this guy had many demons, yeah, many issues. But God comes to him. And we know that, it, and I'm not going to go into really, but it, there's an interesting little factoid I want to point out. It's interesting in the ministry of Jesus, for the most part, the people who actually recognize who he is are demonized. It's usually the demons recognizing who he really and honestly is, which can be very telling that you may think you, you say the right things about belief, but you can be kind of really off the wall in other ways. But anyway, so he, come, he comes uh, and the demons speak to him, legion, 
You know, he doesn't identify, and they're upset because he's going to, of course, remove them. They don't want to go to the abyss. They, they go, it's not the time of judgment yet, so allow us to go into the pigs. Jesus gives them leave, and I won't go into all that, but the fact that God even has compassion for the demons, the, that he accedes to their choice and lets them go. But, of course, because of who they are and what they do, the pigs go crazy and jump in the lake and drown. Jesus stays there. The villagers freak out. Same thing happened with Paul when he has the encounter with Jesus. Christians did not want to believe that this guy had changed. No, it's a, it's a ruse. It's a game. It's a game. And the villagers are upset because he's shaken things. You know, we like the status quo, the homostasis. We, we don't want anything to change. This is too, too much. So they tell everybody, word gets around. We don't know how long Jesus stayed there. And when they finally come, the crowd of people come to Jesus, this is an amazing statement. They come to Jesus and they see the man seated at his feet, which is a euphemism to say that Jesus is discipling him. Jesus is mentoring him. Jesus is making him and training him to partner with Jesus and to be able at some point, to do what Jesus does. And they see him seated there at the feet of Jesus, in his right mind, God bless Luke for emphasizing that, good doctor, and they're afraid. You're afraid of him being in his right mind. Can't handle that. Can't handle that. We like insanity. We like the craziness. Everybody plays a game, so I'm sorry. Okay? <laughs> My nation is the kingdom of God. Our nation is the kingdom of God in the end. All right? They are afraid. They are afraid. They don't want normalcy. It's not the normalcy they know. But of course, you know, the challenge of the Christian life is that we're about change. We're all going to change. We're all getting older, right? Things are changing. People are coming in our lives. People are going. There's going to be change. But it's how we adapt to it. And how do we adapt it from the vantage point of Christ? Looking at things the way Christ looks at it. But they can't handle the change. And one of the saddest comments in the gospel, probably only parallel to when they, the, the people of Nazareth tried to kill Jesus and throw him over a cliff, is this crowd of people beg him to leave. I don't like the change. You're not going to tell us what to do. You're not going to tell us what's normal. You're not going to tell us what life is really about. We want to sit here and, and just gossip about the poor demonized guy. You, you ruined it. We, we had something to complain about, crab about, go cr or laugh about, sadly. And, and thinking about Paul and the change, and because you know, Jesus tells the guy, you know, stay here. He wanted to go with Jesus and go home and tell people the wonderful things God has done for you. That had to be scary because after all these years, you're, you can imagine his family doesn't want anything to do with this guy. He's nuts. He's crazy. He's, you know, demonized. Come on. 
And Paul, in the same way, has to work his way into the church because at first, God bless Ananias, who baptizes Paul. Jesus appears to him and says, look, I want you to find Saul of Tarsus. And I want you to take him in, I want you to teach him, and I want you to, to baptize him. And Ananias is arguing with Jesus. He goes, hey, you, you know who this guy is, don't you? <laughs> He's killing our people. Yeah, yeah, and I've chosen him to go to proclaim to the world the reality of who I am and the kingdom on earth. Now, changes are processed. It wasn't like overnight. Paul talks about going away for a while, three years here, then another 14 there. It's a process. It is a process. It doesn't always happen bang like that. But I think that the point is that change is the, the normal. But change into uncovering the image of Christ in us. Because God, through Jesus, has already fused himself to our human reality. And what baptism does and other things, it's, it un simply uncovers the already present God in our lives. And I'm not talking like New Agey, like I'm divine, you know, somehow I'm the source of divinity and, and, and all this kind of jazz. But I'm talking about a God who is a distinct personal being, who's part of my life and actually has taken my DNA into himself and shared his DNA, if you will, in the incarnation with me. So that the seed of that reality is in every human being, no matter how demonized, how dark their lives are, no matter how much they struggle. And that's why there's hope. In a world that's cynical, angry, Politicians who say, we're going to save you all. Yeah, right, right. When you walk out of a grave, let me know. <laughs> Only God saves. Only God brings people to their right mind. And that's why we let go of those things that distract us, that cloud us, that twist us, and the way we view things, and try to see with the eyes of Jesus from his vantage point these realities. <laughs>